Welcome to Epicenter, the show which talks about the technologies projects and people driving decentralization and the blockchain revolution. I'm Sebastian Cuchillo. Today, we're speaking with John Lede, his co-founder at Kive. Uh, Kive is a protocol that helps developers store, retrieve, and validate data on and off-chain. And we're going to be diving deep into Kive today, understanding how it works. It's interesting uh, place, sort of sitting between Cosmos and Arweave and also use cases and the product roadmap. Uh, before we get started though, I just wanna I just wanna shill Nebular Summit here for a second because we did launch the website and uh, it's really exciting. Nebular Summit is happening in Paris again this year on July 24th and 25th, right after ECC. The website's live, it's nebular.builders and early bird tickets are on sale for just $39. Uh, you get access to two days of probably one of the best interchain builders conference in the world. I would argue, you know, going hitting going towards that that, that number one spot for um, for the the best interchain uh, developer conference. And we're really excited to have announced the venue, uh, which is this really cool business school uh, in the center of Paris called Albert School. So be sure to check it out. And get your tickets if you plan on being in Paris this summer. Again, the website's nebular.builders. Uh, and you guys were both there last year and hoping to see you guys there again this year. For sure. We're definitely sending quite a few team members down this year. Definitely. Yeah, we really want to make this a developer conference, I guess is what I'm trying to say here. And, um, and we'll have lots of technical mm-hmm. content and workshops. But that's enough about that. Uh, John, tell us a bit about yourself and how you... Uh, how you got to be here? Of course. Um, so yes, like as you know, I'm John. I'm the co-founder and CTO of Kive. Um, a good place to start is probably like how I got into crypto. So you know, um, you know, come from like more of like an academic background, doing a lot of research. Actually, was doing a lot of research in AI, which like now is like a hot topic. But I'm quite deep into crypto now. So, um, but you know, so like uh, I came from like the academic side of things. Um, Got into crypto in 2019. I was doing an internship for a London-based startup. Uh, actually kind of touched on data there a little bit because what we were doing there, and again, this is when enterprise blockchains were like the thing. Uh, and so basically we were building an enterprise blockchain based off of Ethereum uh, that was dealing Weren't with we all sensor data. <laughs> at some point. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, you know, it was like my first interaction with smart contracts, with Ethereum, with like data involved in the mix there. It was loads of fun. Um, kind of fell out of it though, after that, so, you know, like that was like my first interaction with crypto, but when I really got like heads down to crypto, I uh, was actually, uh, during the COVID lockdown, uh, so like 2020, like start of it summertime ish and kind of by chance fell onto Arweave and just like discovered it. And, you know, like what fascinated me about Arweave actually is like right now, everyone kind of just assumes the data is permanent, right? It's like when you have photos and whatnot on your phone, you just like assume that it's permanent, right? But in reality, it's actually not. Uh, you know, maybe you have like an iCloud backup or something like that. Again, very Web2, but like in the end, data is not actually permanent. And so it was kind of a cool realization for me. I was like, mm, actually, this is a very niche problem that they're solving. And like, I like really fell in love with the concept of it. Um, of course, you know, I'm a huge history nerd as well. So that also kind of fascinated me about like permanently storing everything. Um, so yeah, so like joined the community. I was actually one of like the first like, um, you know, community developers, like really just like building lots of random cool stuff in Arweave. Um, yeah, so fell into Arweave in 2020. 
played around with a lot of different things there. Um, so if you don't know, there's like an ERC20 like token standard on top of Arweave. Um, and so I created uh, the first ever decentralized trading platform for that. Again, loads of random cool stuff. Uh, and then, yeah, uh, throughout all that process of working on projects, um, I met my co-founder Fabian, who you guys have talked to before. Um, and then um, through that, you know, we worked on loads of different side projects, hackathons and different things. And then that's actually kind of how we came across the idea for Kive is because um, Polkadot and Arweave at the start of 2021 um, put together this bounty. Uh, and it was basically like, hey, listen, you know, right now we have a problem where there's not a lot of full nodes in our network. And by the way, this isn't just a problem for Polkadot, it's a problem for a lot of blockchains because full nodes are actually not incentivized in like proof of stake networks in general. And so... Polkadot was like, hey, listen, like, it would be great if we could kind of decentralize access to like a full node and like data that the full node has. Um, and so Polkadot, you know, created a grant on Gitcoin with Arweave and um, me and Fabian saw that and we we're like, hey, that's really cool. You know, we can like archive all of Polkadot's data from a full node onto Arweave. So, you know, like one weekend and a simple script later, uh, you know, we went to Sam, who's the CEO of Arweave. I'm like, hey, Sam, listen, like, we have this. And he's like, wow, okay, that's really cool. You know, we talked to Polkadot, they were happy with it. And then Sam was like, oh, by the way, you know, when Polkadot did this, they weren't actually the only blockchain that wanted to do that. Um, and so through that, uh, we got connected to, um, you know, everyone from Avalanche and Solana to Near and even um, the Interchain Foundation with Cosmos. Um, we got connected like everywhere. And then we kind of saw the need for a tool that permanently stores like full node information. Um, but then of course, you know, we saw the fundamental like trust problem there where basically it's like, if it's really just like a script that we're providing to the foundations of these blockchains, the trust, the, like the fundamental trust restrictions are still there basically. And so we said, okay, we can take this one step further, right? Instead of just permanently storing copies of this full node and blockchain ledger information, how about we also then decentralize it and make it trustless? And so that's kind of when the idea for Kai was born. And then like two and a half years later, we've just launched our Cosmos layer one, which is really cool. Yeah, like I guess there is a lot to dive into there. I think especially maybe we, we can already start there, but I guess Kai already started out initially on Arweave. Then I think you moved to, to Moonbeam. Uh, until like finally like launching your own Cosmos mainnet uh, and again congrats to the recent launch I think you know what would be very interesting for many people is probably you know like you're one of the projects that has done this migration and it seems like a lot of people are doing this migration either in that direction or maybe like from app chain to smart contract I guess I, I've seen that less but um, probably more like going from smart contract to like an app chain and, and I guess it would be interesting to hear your your reasons of why how you chose to do that and, and what, what it gets you uh, as a Kive protocol. For sure. Yeah, so I would actually be very, very curious to hear people's reasons for going from an app chain to a smart contract. That's got to be a very interesting reason. Anyways, so yeah, so like you said, we went from a smart contract um, from Arweave to Moonbeam, which uh, for anyone that doesn't know, that's um, basically Evmos on Polkadot. It's EVM, but on Substrate. Um, and then, yeah, after that, uh, we then migrated over to our own like Cosmos app chain. Uh, yeah, basically, fundamentally, the main reasons for that is that smart contracts are great, right? Like they, 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 they definitely have their purpose and like dApps are amazing. But what we realized is that we were just not scalable 
enough. Like they were just not scalable enough for us because like when thinking about Kive, right, we're building a full decentralized network, right? And, you know, smart contracts can only go so far. They're great for, you know, building um, AMMs and they're great for doing NFTs and tokens and whatnot, right? But when you're trying to build a full scalable network with actually like a validator set, it gets a little bit complicated, especially in the EVM space where you have to like constantly, and I mean constantly, optimize for gas. Um, it was like we were really, really like having a hard time thinking about, okay, this is how we like store validator sets and rewards and everything like that. But then, okay, that's one way of doing it. And then how do we optimize it so that it doesn't cost a fortune? Um, but then even like that, the problem is that um, you're sharing block space because it's like, and like fundamentally the way that like Ethereum gas models work is basically, you know, the more contract calls and interactions on the network, not just with your contract, but in general, the more expensive that it gets. And so, you know, we saw if like an NFT launched or something like that, you know, cost of running a node would go from like a reasonable price because we optimized it to something like crazy high and ridiculous. And so it was like those main two reasons, which is just like scalability and then also just like cost efficiency and like sharing block space were like the two main reasons why we decided to kind of look into app chains. Um, so we were, of course, looking into a few other app chains, kind of app chain ecosystems, if you will. So like, you know, Avalanche has its subnets, um, you know, a lot of other app chains ecosystems are now kind of spun up since we were looking into this. Um, but in the end, honestly, the smoothest process was actually... Um, just Cosmos. And, you know, at the time it was called Starport and now it's called the Ignite CLI. Um, but we were actually like the entire tech team went to East Denver 2022. And, you know, we had done a lot in Cosmos before that. So we were already very familiar with it. And then we were like, hey, listen, what happens if we just use Ignite and just try it out? Right. And so, you know, we were like sitting at East Denver, um, like in a WeWork sometimes as well. And we were just like, okay, let's just do this. It took us about like five days in total uh like of conversion and whatnot to get like an internal devnet up and running so like five days to convert from a solidity smart contract which we had worked worked on for like a year uh to like completely over to a cosmos app chain um and it was really cool to see of course you know then taking a devnet that you spun up in five days to something a little bit more concrete uh with the validator sets definitely took some time but and lots of learnings uh but no it was it was like loads of fun um and that's kind of the reasons why we switched what does uh, the Ignite CLI, you know, as as a sort of like non-developer, but you know, someone who's fairly technical, I guess, what what it is about what is it about the Ignite CLI that just makes that process of porting over an Ethereum smart contract to essentially an app chain easy? Can you can you talk about you know your experience in doing that more specifically about like? Of course. Um... Yeah, so like with the re like the latest release of the Cosmos SDK and with the Cosmos SDK Eden release um, coming up in a year or so, I don't actually know the timeline there, um, but like they're definitely removing a lot of the need of like the boilerplate code that you need when running a Cosmos app chain. The problem is that like when we did this a year ago, there was still a heavy need to have all that boilerplate code around. And so, you know, you know, developers just coming into the ecosystem, they don't fully know their ways, like in and outs of all the different things that you need to like fully run a Cosmos app chain, right? And so what the Ignite CLI does is it basically takes all that boilerplate code that you may or may not know that you need to have, right? As you're just like starting on Cosmos, it takes all that boilerplate code and generates it for you. And so it's like makes it really easy to say, okay, listen, this is what I want my state 
of my blockchain to look like. It's going to have these values. Uh, and then it kind of just generates a boilerplate for you from there. Um, long term, of course, if you want to like actually run a chain in production, definitely, you know, you need to remove a lot of that boilerplate code and really understand the fundamentals of like what's going on, which is what we did after the fact. Uh, but like what was really like fantastic and what made the switch so easy is the fact that they just handled all the kind of the cosmos nitty gritty details for us without us needing to like fully learn it. And then that allowed us to really easily then say, okay, this is our core logic. Let's just only focus on the core logic and Ignite will handle all the Cosmos logic. And then after we focused on our core logic, we are like, okay, now let's dive deep into the Cosmos land and see what's up. Um, so, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I mean, that's that's something that I've, I've also heard from from other people, I guess, is like, that, yeah, okay, the Cosmos SDK does have like a lot of boilerplate code that is necessary to launch a chain, but that the Ignite CLI you know, allows you to you know, forego having to write a lot of that code. I guess a lot of people now are also maybe going like an even simpler route, which is building things directly in Cosmosm. Um, you're not like, you know, even foregoing the Cosmos SDK to, to, to some extent, like, you know, with initiatives like the Cosmosm SDK. And I think it's only going to get easier to start up a Cosmos app chain, app chain in, in the future as, as these tools become more and more, um, yeah, more, more mature and, and, and easier to leverage. For sure. Yeah, I mean, like uh, using Cosmosm smart contracts for a lot of your logic is actually really smart, I would say. Like Mars is probably the latest project that has done this, where basically they took all, they basically just took a boilerplate Cosmos SDK app chain. And then they said, okay, cool, this is like all the stuff that we need. And then they just put it directly into a smart contract, which is really nice. And like, yeah, like you said, the Cosmosm SDK that Larry from the Mars team is working on, that's also some really cool stuff. I think that there's actually like a lot of cool joint stuff that you can do there to kind of optimize everything. Yeah. So let's maybe just take a, a bit of a step back here because we do want to talk about Kive. And, and, and before, before we do so, since uh, we, we've never uh, actually done an episode with Kive on, on, uh, on Epicenter, uh, although I've interviewed Fabian on the Interop and Felix has interviewed you on the Chorus One podcast, uh, I, I do think that for our listeners here, it, it bears reminding uh, people who don't know uh, about Kive what it is and what problem you're solving um, at a high level. And uh, and then we can dive into some of this other um, stuff we wanted to talk, to talk about, which is, you know, are we even Cosmos and some of the use cases? I think, you know, for listeners who really want to dive deeper into Kive, um, probably that won't be the the sort of art of this episode, but uh, you should definitely listen to my episode with Fabian on the interop or Felix's episode with you on, uh, on the course one podcast. Uh, those are both great, uh, great resources. If you want to sort of like start at the ground level, but yeah, uh, go ahead, John. Okay, perfect. Um, yeah. So, uh, just to clarify, you want me to kind of like talk about like what Kive exactly does? Yeah. Yeah. Just at, at a high level, sort of explaining, you know, what, what it is, what problem you're solving and, and the different components. Um, and we, we can, we can talk about some of the, the other aspects we wanted to discuss today. So, um, yeah, you can really think of Kive as building a massive decentralized data lake. Now that's like a lot of buzzwords. Um, but basically what it means is we've connected, uh, to a lot of major L1s and L2s. Um, you know, kind of like I mentioned, we've been working since our like very beginning with, you know, like Polkadot, Solana, Near, Cosmos, um, Avalanche, like you name it, a lot of major L1s and L2s. 
And what we do is we've actually built this proof of stake network that can um, connect to all these different blockchains and then parse information from them. So this could be as simple as really just block and transaction information. It could be ledger information like account balances and whatnot. Or on the, like the more complex side, this could be things like EVM traces, um, you know, logs from smart contracts, etc. And what happens is that this validator set then independently, each one of the validators goes and connects to the blockchain, and then they fetch information from it, um, do some sort of transformation if needed on top of that data. And then what they do is they use our consensus layer, which is Tendermint Comet BFT based. Um, and then they basically say, okay, listen, like I have this piece of data. Did you guys also get that same piece of data? If they did, then what happens is then of course that data is then validated and then it's then automatically pushed to um, a storage network like Arweave. Um, basically what that allows you to have is then that allows you to have one single network, which is Kai, which has access to a lot of data from a lot of different networks that's automatically completely trustless because it's already been validated and it's stored forever due to Arweave. That's really cool because then you can build like a lot of things cross-chain. Also, it helps a lot, um, even like in kind of like the more traditional aspects where basically, I mean, Felix, we can kind of talk to you briefly about like an accounting tool, right? Or basically, um, you know, you can use this on-chain data that not a lot of nodes or RPC endpoints might necessarily have um, to then really easily fetch, you know, data that you need on the accounting side of things. There's a lot of different use cases, which I think we'll get into later. Um, but yeah, fundamentally, we're building a uh, massive decentralized data lake. Yeah, I think what's really interesting there, right, is that you have these sort of two roles, like the protocol layer and like the validator layer, I think. And can you maybe, right, you, you mentioned the storage pools can you sort of walk through a flow of someone, maybe like actually the entire life cycle, actually someone uploading some data and then do they retrieve it with Kive again or do, do I have to go directly to Arweave? Uh, how, how would I use this? Of course. So um, we can kind of start at the base layer. So we actually have two layers in our network. And this is, of course, until vote extensions is a thing in Cosmos. Um, but basically, for now, we have two layers. So we have kind of the normal Tendermint Cosmos layer that everyone's kind of familiar with, where you have this validator set, uses delegated proof of stake. Tendermint kind of manages that all for us, reaches consensus on the state of our network. That's what we call our consensus layer. The name's pretty obvious, I would say. And then what's on top of the consensus layer is actually something we like to call the protocol layer. It's actually a separate validator set. Um, and this is actually just to kind of keep everything a little bit more efficient instead of building everything directly into the Tendermint validators themselves. Um, but the protocol layer really manages data part of Kive. Um, so like you mentioned, we have something that we like to call storage or data pools. I always like to give the example of actually you can think of it like liquidity pools on Osmosis, for example, where each liquidity pool manages a pair of tokens. Very similarly, um, a storage pool or a data pool on Kive manages a specific data stream. Um, so that just keeps it a lot easier because some data streams can be more computationally expensive or anything like that, just kind of like a separation of interest there. Where basically you can have a data pool for Solana data, you could have a data pool for Uniswap smart contract events, anything like that. The way, like now kind of zooming in directly into um, like a specific storage pool, the way that it works is it's a round robin approach, very similar to Tendermint actually, where a validator gets randomly selected. 
Um, we call this validator actually the uploader. Um, so this is normally in other proof of stake networks called like a block proposer. But in this case, we're not actually proposing a block. We're uploading data. Um, so that's why we call it the uploader. Uh, the uploader's job is basically uh, to kind of propose the piece of data that they think is valid. So they go off, talk to the blockchain. Let's just say, for example, Solana, right? So they go off to Solana, say, hey, listen, Solana, I want blocks 10 to 100, something like that, right? It's a lot bigger snapshots than that, of course. And so basically what happens is the uploader fetches a snapshot of blocks from Solana, and then it proposes it to this validator set on the protocol layer. And then, and then uh, basically they say, hey, listen, I have blocks, uh, you know, one to 100 of Solana. Are these blocks correct? And so then each of the other validators that are not the uploader in this case, they then go off independently using their own connections to Solana and validate to make sure that, you know, blocks one to 100 are actually correct. If they do, then you know there's a voting process. Again, very similar to Tendermint and proof of stake in general. Um, there's a voting process, and then if you know more than you know 67% of you know the validators voted yes, then the piece of data is actually correct. Once the piece of data is correct, then of course uh, it's then uploaded and like pushed off to Arweave. Uh, we're going to be onboarding a lot of other storage solutions soon as well. So it's not just Arweave that we support. We kind of have a a cool little wrapper around any storage layer. So you can really easily integrate IPFS or Filecoin or storage or, you know, Greenfield, which is like the new Binance one, for example. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of like the life cycle of the data being validated. On the retrieval side, uh, we kind of offer a few retrieval products. Um, of course, you know, you independently can just directly kind of talk to Kive and Kive will say, hey, listen, if you want this piece of data, it's in this Arweave transaction ID, and then you can then go and fetch it from Arweave and do all that fun stuff yourself. Um, but we kind of offer two products uh, right now. One is kind of a more B2B product, a more enterprise product, where basically we automatically kind of do all that internal fetching for you, where basically all you need to do, um, and it's powered by Airbyte, by the way, which is actually quite cool. It's a really easy way to kind of connect a data stream to any Web2 data infrastructure. So this could be MongoDB, it could be something more complex like a Kafka queue or Snowflake or anything like that. Um, but basically, it's a service that we provide where basically you just say, hey, listen, this is how I want the data. Um, and it's like an ETL pipeline. And then we will automatically give the data back to you. Of course, like a little bit more like on-chain B2C customer um, product that we're going to be offering soon is actually our Oracle, um, which will be really cool because it's powered by IBC. Cool. Yeah. What? What? So what is the, um, how do you leverage IBC here? And like, I guess I'm, you know, I'd, I'd like to maybe transition a little bit here into, you know, how Arweave, or sorry, how Kive connects Cosmos to Arweave. So yeah, how, how do you leverage RBC and you know maybe describe how Kive sort of sits in between Cosmos and Arweave in, in some way? Yeah, for sure. Um, so kind of we kind of sit actually more like on top of them, right? Because you have Arweave's mainnet, and then you have like of course our consensus layer, and then our protocol layer kind of can, like sits on top of both of them and then connects to both of them individually. Yeah, so like uh, there's no like we didn't create an IBC client between Arweave and uh, between Arweave and our Cosmos chain. That's that would actually be incredibly interesting because Arweave is proof of work. 
Um, so that would be fundamentally incredibly interesting to create an IBC client between the two of them. But anyways, that's like for maybe Kive 2.0 or something crazy like that. Anyways, so uh, the way that it works right now is like I kind of mentioned before, that uploader has the job of, you know, not only kind of like pushing the data to Arweave, but also reaching consensus on that piece of data uh, using our Tendermint uh, blockchain. And so it's kind of like a connection between the two of them where basically the uploader first uploads that piece of data to Arweave, and then the validators then reach consensus on that piece of data. And then if that data is incorrect, then basically the Kive network will then like store, hey, listen, this Arweave transaction hash or, you know, this IPFS CID is actually validated and is correct. And this is the metadata for it. And that's kind of how we connect to Arweave and do that. On like the IBC side of things, um, that's kind of more going into like our Oracle product, which will leverage IBC to basically be able to, you just send uh, a token like for payment. Um, like you just send like Kive tokens or any governance enabled fee payment method. And then you basically just do an IBC transfer and then utilizing the memo field of that IBC transfer, you can basically initiate a query for any data that Kive is archived. Uh, so you could basically say, hey, listen, I'm going to pay, you know, one Kive, again, not the real numbers here, but like, I'm just going to pay one Kive. And then uh, I would like to fetch, you know, Solana blocks one to a thousand, for example. And then uh, what would then happen is that would be sent by IBC. And then, of course, Kive has that piece of data. So then using interchain queries, it would just send the response back. And then you could now have completely trustless Solana blocks on your Cosmos chain. And then you can do whatever you want with that. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of how we leverage IBC. And then also that's how we kind of connect to Arweave as well. Can you maybe expand a bit in terms of, you said basically the proposer uploads the data and then the validators have to sort of validate if it's correct. Does that mean like all the validators have to sort of download that state of that chain or that, that um, program or whatever it is? So... Yeah, so like at the end of the day, it's really up to the validator to decide how they actually connect to the network itself, right? Because fundamentally, if they receive invalid data, then of course, they're going to be proposing with like invalid data. And then of course, they're subject to a slashing, and like it's a major slashing. And so it's kind of, we've left it up to the validators. So basically like we expect a certain RPC endpoint for certain different networks. But fundamentally, how the validators actually connect to that is up to them, right? So, you know, a lot of the times, and this is what we encourage, of course, is, you know, running your own node in that network, right? Just for like optimum security. But of course, you know, if you want to go for like the more hosted Coinbase Cloud or Block Daemon approach, like that's also okay. Like we don't like put like an exact architecture requirement on it. Um, but at the end of the day, it's really up to the validator to decide like what risk they're willing to take here. Um, the, like the important thing though, is like, we make sure to like double check to make sure like where the data is from. And so like, if everyone's just using like infra, for example, as like an RPC endpoint, then of course that's going to be problematic. And so we have checks in place to make sure that it is from many different data sources. Um, but yeah, of course, like how the validator actually connects to the network, they can either run their own node, they can use an RPC provider, something like that. Mm. Could you leverage and, uh, you know, and have you thought about encouraging uh, folks to leverage a, a decentralized RPC 
provider like like Lava, for instance. I think there's some other ones like Gateway. Lava, um, Gateway, Pocket, yeah. for example. Um, yeah. Pocket. I yeah, mean, yeah. oh, sorry. Yeah, Pocket. Sorry. I, 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 I just abbreviated. Um, no, like, yeah, I think, of course, there's definitely some like cool collaborations to be done there. Actually, like Lava is definitely very interesting because they are also based in Cosmos. So I wonder if there could actually be like a little bit more synergy there because of course they're based in cosmos so ibc kind of connects us all right um so like haven't directly thought about it to be honest it was just like we just kind of settled on this uh, architecture for now we wanted to get mainnet out as soon as possible but of course going forward this is definitely something that we want to look into right because it's like if we can even decentralize the rpc side of this it would be a perfect world right and so like yeah we've done everything that we can to decentralize on our side but of course definitely further collaborations are definitely we're open for that. Okay, cool. I want to talk about Arweave a little bit. Um, the, the, like, I, I have a I have a close friend who who, who you might know who's he, they're building uh, Accord. Oh yeah, Accord. Thing. And and uh, you know he 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 shells Arweave to me like all the time, and I kind of get it, but I, I still I also kind of don't get it, or I don't really get you know how economically uh, how it works, like with how the economic works. Um, how the smart contracts work, and and so yeah, I, I'd like to, I'd like you to maybe settle once and for all for me how how are we smart contracts work because uh, they're fundamentally different from you know another form of smart contract and and, and what I've understood is that are we con- smart contracts are executed off chain and settled on chain and so I've got about that far. Um, but yeah, it just sort of breaks my brain. Yeah, so are we smart contracts are definitely something interesting to wrap around. And I, to be honest, I don't exactly call them smart contracts because, and we can get into why later. Um, but let me first kind of touch briefly on like what Arweave is and how it works. Um, so it's a proof of work blockchain, um, been around since 2018. Lots of, uh, you know, projects use it. It's really big in like the NFT space, especially because, you know, if you don't pay your IPFS loan, well, sorry, everything's gone, right? Um, so there was like a massive adoption, you know, they partnered with Meta, for example. Um, they're also partnered like on the more on-chain side of things with, um, oh man, I'm blanking now, just as I was about to say it, but like the main like Solana NFT marketplace, stuff like that, um, uh, Metaplex, there we go. Uh, and so basically um, the way that it works is it's not actually a blockchain, it's a block weave, which is really cool because what happens is every single piece of data that is um, mined into Arweave, what happens is that there's basically a pointer back to a previous data item that has previously been uploaded to Arweave. So basically every single block points to a previous block, which is why it's a block weave, um, which is actually quite cool because that ensures that there's always like some access to some historical piece of data on Arweave, right? So if you are the current miner of a block, in Arweave, uh, if you don't have access to the randomly selected piece of data, then you can't produce the block and then it moves on to the next person, right? So it basically encourages the entire network to have as much of the data as possible. The way that the incentive model actually works is quite interesting. So, you know, it's proof of work. So there's just a fundamental block payout per block. I don't exactly remember what that is. It's something, I think that there's a having mechanism in place, et cetera. Um, but what's really cool is the transaction fees um, are calculated with this really cool equation, which uses, and I quote this because 
it's not really Moore's law, but it's like a similar concept of Moore's law, where basically it calculates how much it's going to cost to store this piece of data. So let's say that you're archiving like one gigabyte, right? So it, Arweave basically, the network calculates how much it's going to cost for the next 200 years to store one gigabyte. Um, and then basically what happens is that at that 200 year mark, there's like a slow decay curve that happens, which basically says over time, SSDs and HDDs should be getting better and better and better. And there should be like a significant cost reduction where basically after 200 years or so, give or take, that data should be fundamentally free to store. Um, and so basically what happens is on Arweave, you pay for 200 years of storage upfront. And that's what your transaction fee is, like transaction cost to store your piece of data. And then what happens is that actually doesn't get paid out to the validators, or sorry, not validators, the miners in the network. Um, but that actually then gets put into a um, block reward pool. I forget the exact name for it. But what's cool about that is then that basically you have this like, almost like a community pool in Cosmos, right? You just have like this treasury of like an insane amount of Arweave that's just like sitting there locked. And what's cool is the network automatically calculates if the current level of data on the network, if it's actually like, like the block payout, like the normal proof of work block payout, if that's not enough incentives for the miners to automatically cover the cost of storing all the data. And if it's not covering all the costs, then it automatically does a distribution of that massive treasury, um, which is really cool because then over time, you know, let's say for example, one year, storage costs goes up by a lot, then automatically that would then incentivize the valid, like the miners still in the network, or if it gets cheaper then vice versa. Right. Um, so that's kind of like fundamentally how are works in a nutshell and like can clarify anything else if that was too complicated. Okay. Smart contracts though. And I don't know what to call them. Right. So smart weave is like the official name for it. Like you mentioned, they're not, um, like there's no execution on chain. So in, you know, in the case of Solana, you know, Cosmosm even, and, you know, the Solana VM, like basically every single normal smart contract platform, the way, the way that it works is you deploy the code on chain, and then you interact with the code with a transaction. And then that transaction has a result that changes the state of that code. And all that happens on chain. The way that SmartWeave works is fundamentally different to that. What happens is you deploy the code, and so you basically have this, you know, contract ID, if you will. And then what you do is you just interact with it by just sending transactions. But those transactions are literally just like normal Arweave transactions. There's nothing special about them except for like the tags in place. So like you can then tell that it's a smart weave transaction. But if you ever want to access the state of the smart contract, it's not stored on chain. Um, what you, what needs to happen is off chain, you then need to basically create this execution environment where basically you fetch the code and then from Genesis, you need to replay all the transactions. This is actually one of the reasons why we switched away from SmartWeave. Um, because of course, you know, having to maintain almost like a caching layer off chain for your smart contract is actually quite intensive and completely centralized. Uh, there's definitely some things going on now in Arweave that like are trying to solve this problem, making it a little bit more decentralized. But fundamentally, if you have off-chain computation of state, 
there's not a whole lot that you can do there, um, which is like kind of the main reason why we kind of switched away from that and then went to the EVM based smart contract. Um, again, and like that's not like throwing any shade on smart. That's just like explaining how it works, which is just like off chain um, execution. Yeah, I think like fundamentally, Arweave is a really great layer zero, where basically you can just throw any piece of data that you want onto Arweave, and it handles that really well. I think smart contracts does have a little bit of time that it needs to like grow into like a fully developed ecosystem. Right, makes sense. So you're basically saying, right, like Arweave still very useful as like this data storage layer, but essentially with the smart weave, it's it's sort of trying to also compete, I guess, on the smart contract level. But that might like exactly like. Yeah, it's like, 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 like for me, Arweave might be trying to do a little bit too much with the smart contracts, right? It's like they've really, and they, like, they've done a really, really, really good job with dealing with the data side of this, right? Um, but like, and like, that's why I said they're a great layer zero. You can really throw whatever data you want at Arweave, and it's like a perfect economic model. That's great. Um, but yeah, like fundamentally, it's just like smart contracts on top of it, treating it more like a layer one, layer two like model, not quite there yet. Um, when 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 someone describes sort of are we smart contracts to me it sounds you know we were talking earlier about you know our previous uh our previous uh, uh enterprise blockchain building days it sounds very similar to something we were trying to build back then um uh, which uh which is you know this this sort of you know off-chain execution on-chain settlement but there's not even really settlement with smartweave that's the thing yeah, or, or like whatever. I mean, whatever you want to call it, like on-chain notarization, I guess. Um, yeah, and then the the other aspect about Arweave that I still have a hard time wrapping my head around is like the economics of you know you, you were talking about um, this this storage, like this on-chain storage. And yeah, sure, I guess we can assume I mean, we should assume that storage costs go down over time. I think that's you know a safe assumption to make. Um, there is one thing about Arweave that I find a little bit weird is like this, this, this inability to delete things. Like, yeah, like I can kind of step in there. Like, like fundamentally that was the first thing that I thought about when I thought of Arweave. So like, yeah, this, this is great. If there are only good people in the world, there's also lots of bad people in the world too. Like this is obviously something that could go terribly wrong. So like the thing is, is that actually built into each Arweave node, um, there's actually kind of like a blacklist that you can put in or like a block list now, um, that has been renamed. Um, there's a block list that you can put in where basically pieces of data or content that you know is like, in fact, vulnerable or malicious, or, you know, illegal, um, treading lightly here. Uh, what you can do is you can then like inside your R we've node, just choose not to store that piece of data. And what's actually really cool is that if more than 51% of the network has a specific transaction blocked, then well, actually it's dropped from consensus. Assuming it's not encrypted. Exactly. Assuming that it's not encrypted, right? And so there is a way to delete data, right? Where basically the majority of the network does not have the piece of data, right? Um, but yeah, of course, that does imply that it has to be encrypted. Oh, sorry, it has to be decrypted. And a lot of things have to apply there. I think that they're actually trying to spin up like a DAO to manage this a little bit. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I was also wondering, like, do you, is it actually clear, like, 
who runs the Arweave network, who are like the, can you like trace back how, who produced how many nodes and sort of see how much control there is from certain entities or, or something like that? Like, I guess how you have voting power in proof of stake sort of. To be honest, I don't actually know. So you can like check who the peers are in like, but, but like, that's more like the active peers in the network. Right. So like if like, that's like, and maybe this is just like not a problem, but like definitely like a design flaw in proof of work, or basically there's like no way of like who's actually the validator set right now. Right. So I actually don't know. I think like, so of course you can check who is the miner of every single block. Of course I would take a long time, but you can, and then you can kind of go back and see like what has been like, what data has been produced where, but yeah. In proof of work, there is really no way of like checking who's in the current set, if you will, which does actually suck a little bit because that would actually also make security a little bit better too. Right. I think it's one of the core kind of benefits of proof of stake, right? That you have slashing that you can go back and like destroy stake of someone in versus like proof of work where you can't burn down the server farm. <laughs> um, so like I, I've heard that comparison that's comparing like Bitcoin. And I guess it, it also applies to our weave to a certain degree here. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a nice excursion. Um, <laughs> I guess we can, we can take it back a bit to, I mean, you already also mentioned, right? Like Hive can use other data storage solutions. So that's, I think also like very cool, right? It's very uh, abstracted there. And, and I think that's very useful. Um, but maybe we can also talk about, you know, now you have the, I, I saw on the website, like something on the roadmap, like Kaif version two. Can you maybe expand a bit? Like what, what else is, is coming there? Of course. Um, so I guess like, yeah, the main thing involved there is actually the Oracle. So there's like IBC enabled data querying with that quite a lot of stuff actually comes with it on like the optimization of the protocol layer. Um, so, you know, like I mentioned at the very beginning, we have two layers. Once the vote extensions are released, we're definitely going to look into kind of combining those two layers because right now there is a little bit of a fight between the two validator sets, right? Because it's like whichever validator set has the biggest APY, right? Like talking about like just like delegators for the pure sake of earning rewards, right? Of course, there's going to be like a little bit of a stake fight going on there, if you will. Um, and so, of course, you know, we're looking into solutions like superfood staking and whatnot. Um, but long term, of course, combining those two validator sets um, is definitely something on the roadmap for sure. And that's kind of fundamentally what goes along with Kai 2.0. Another thing as well is like uh, right now, the Oracle is only allowed to like query what we store directly on our chain, right? Which is more of like a summary of what's stored on Arweave. So Let's say, for example, that we've, you know, done a massive snapshot of like 10,000 blocks of Cosmos, right? What happens is that all of that data is stored on Arweave, but we only store like the headers or the hashes of each block on our chain, right? And that's just strictly because like we're not built like Arweave. We can't handle a lot of data, right? And so basically what the Oracle can currently query for right now, um, and this is going to be released soon, um, is basically just like the headers and whatnot of the data. Um, but like long-term, we really want to make sure that like what will happen is you can just do an Oracle request and then our network handles all the going off, talking to Arweave, indexing the data and giving you a really nice response. Also, we're kind of tied into Kai 2.0 there. 
of course there's like a lot of other stuff that i probably can't talk about but that's like what i'm really excited about for sure um and like yeah it's actually mostly tied around kind of like bringing the querying process on chain with the oracle right maybe also i guess we sort of went into it a bit but i'm i'm sort of wondering what if if there's a mismatch i guess between the data provided or like there's no co consensus and then there is there is a slashing you said is there like some dispute mechanism if that like sort of was actually the right data or um how do you like sort of settle that yeah so the way that it works is you have the uploader they're um you know of course you know proposing a chunk of data if the uploader has okay now this is now getting into like now how proof of stake works which is basically each validator will then say okay is that correct if more than 51 of the validators say yes this is the correct piece of data then that data goes through what happens which is actually quite interesting is all the validators that didn't say that that data is correct we basically put them on like a watch list if you will well basically we we give them like a point and after a certain number of points they actually do get slashed so if those validators that are actually voting in the minority if they keep voting in the minority for a while then there will be a slashing event there but um there's not really a dispute mechanism after the fact just because we want instant finality to go along with tendermint or basically a piece of data while it's reaching consensus is still undecided, but once consensus is reached, it's finalized. And that's when you know that the data is valid or invalid. So there's not a dispute mechanism in place, but basically we do have mechanisms where basically the majority is what is actually happening. And like, that's what reaches consensus. And then the minority, we always keep our eye on the minority to make sure that that doesn't get out of hand or out of control. Right, right. That's cool. So it's sort of like a multi-round game that you're playing. Exactly. Of. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So let's get into use cases here. I mean, the, you know, I think there's a lot of use cases, and we already touched a little bit on on some. But yeah, maybe describe, you know, which are the the ones that you're most excited about, and maybe also which are the least obvious ones that people um, should be thinking about, or you know um yeah for sure um let's do it so um yeah so i mean i've kind of already touched on like our etl pipeline which is like kind of the more uh you know enterprise focused solution that we provide that this is going to be more for like you know indexing partners and you know accounting tools and whatnot people that really want access to like large amounts of historical information of course you have the oracle which is like more on chain and that you know can be you know i mean on-chain Oracle information is like powerful and like smart contracts down to like the core layer of blockchains too. Kind of the unexpected use case, uh, because that kind of ties into the Oracle a little bit, is we're actually partnered with Say. Um, so like Say Network and Cosmos. And it's actually quite interesting because they want to use us to fetch like weather information and like sporting information. And okay, for people that don't know what Say is, it's basically trying to create a market around anything. Uh, and so what we've done at Kive is we've made ourselves so general that we don't actually need to store, like like we don't only need to store blockchain data, we can also store Web2 data as long as there's a way of validating it. 
So basically meaning it has to be deterministic data, right? It can't be changing every other minute. Um, so for example, like weather is a good example of like, okay, like a weather, not predictable weather, but like, you know, historical weather, you know, and stuff like that. Um, that of course, you know, we can handle. And what say wants to use us for is basically they want to fetch information like that kind of a little bit information that you wouldn't have actually expected. Uh, and then they want to create a betting market around that, which is, you know, cool, right? Like definitely something I wouldn't have expected, but you know, it's cool nonetheless. Um, of course, you know, like more of the expected use cases that I'm quite excited about um, is, you know, we're working with quite a few validators, um, like Course One, for example. Um, and what we're doing right now is we're coming up with a really uh, like clean way of syncing a Tendermint node and not just Tendermint nodes, but like other nodes from other networks as well, syncing a Tendermint node using Kive's data, which is really cool because right now, if you want to sync a node and prove a stake, you have to either use a trusted snapshot and you kind of have to just trust whoever gave that snapshot to you that it's actually correct. Or you can sync from Genesis, which is like a multi-day to multi-week process, depending on how like old the network is. And so, yeah, so because we have all this data already stored historically, it's really easy to then just like connect a Tendermint node directly to Kive and then sync directly from there. And not just Tendermint, but also like near and other networks as well. Um, that's kind of the use case I'm most excited about because that's like the initial use case that I started Kive with, which was basically like this exact thing. And so kind of seeing it come to fruition now is really exciting. Um, yeah. So I, I, I wonder if this addresses also another issue. So the state sync uh, use case, when I talked to Babylon, they were saying they 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 also kind of blew my mind and 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 pointed to the fact that in the in a lot of cosmos chains there has to be this kind of canonical you know checkpoint where validators have to have to agree on like what is the the most the the, the sort of state that everybody agrees is valid and in a lot of I don't remember where but like somewhere in some cosmos documentation it says that people should agree on this on this state like on off-chain channels like twitter or or whatsapp it's like, it's like so what consensus <laughs> yeah yeah so this is like social consensus and so with with babylon um what they what they allow is basically to you know create um a, a hash of of state at some point and then like notarize that on the bitcoin blockchain or sort of commit it to the bitcoin blockchain and then the way they describe it is that like it, it, it would eliminate this this social consensus need, but also uh, potentially eliminate the need for uh, long unbonding periods for staking for for staking uh, for stake basically you know but for delegators to, to unstake because we we know that there's social consensus around like state being valid up until this point. Does does Kive also address the same? Uh, problem and, and could it also reduce unbonding periods for staking in the same way that say Bob Babylon is you know sort of trying to to add as a feature? Interesting actually. Yeah, because I've like like I've I've talked to the Babylon team many times and exactly the same thing, you know, social consensus. This is why you should never, ever, 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 ever have a voting period in Cosmos longer than the unbonding period. 
because uh, then massive problems happen. Same thing why um, there should be a, like a clear ratio between IBC trust periods and the unbonding period. Like there's a lot of like numbers that you should really not play around with that much in Cosmos. And it's, yeah, it's hidden somewhere in the documentation that it's like, yeah, like worst case, just reach social consensus, right? Which is like, cool guys, but no. Um, and so it's like, yeah, I don't actually know. So like, I never really thought about it in that way. It depends because, right, so we are technically anchoring data of these chains on our weave, but it kind of boils down to fundamentally the, the market cap or like the security level of the anchor point, right? So kind of Babylon's value add there is a basically Bitcoin, well, it's Bitcoin, right? It's like, it's the biggest market cap in crypto, period, right? So. Although, yes, we are an anchor, I think fundamentally anchoring on Arweave, Arweave has a smaller market cap than I like Osmosis, for example, or something like that, right? So like, yes, although we could definitely be an anchor, it's kind of missing that little period there, which is just like, you know, the, 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 the actual, like the market cap comparison is not actually quite there. What could be interesting though, is like creating a storage backend for Kive, where basically we go off and talk to Bitcoin. That could be something cool. Right. We're basically, you know, like, again, we don't want to make competitors here, <laughs> just to be clear. Uh, but just like thinking out loud, like, I think that there would actually be a way that we could then, you know, instead of going off and talking to our like I mentioned, we can talk to a lot of different layers. Uh, we could then go off and talk to Bitcoin and then we could then be an anchor on Bitcoin similar to Babylon. Interesting use case. Haven't thought about it yet, but very cool. Right. I guess the difference also with Babylon, you would probably only see if your state is sort of correct right you just check the header if it like matches but you can't actually get the data from the bitcoin network right you you would still someone has to send yeah, it to so you what we, would, what we would do is we would first validate the entire state of the blockchain we could then push the headers to bitcoin and still store the rest of the blockchain like the rest of the full data on are we could kind of do a mix that would actually be really cool then, right? Because you have like the anchoring and security side of things on Bitcoin, but then you can still access the validated data on Arweave. Very cool. Right. New use case. Great. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Figure, we, we figured it out here on Epicenter. Perfect. Uh, any, any, other, uh, any other use cases that you're, you're particularly interested in or, or, or bullish on or would like to see people build using Kive? Not off the top of my head. I'm sure that there are. I'm sure that I'm missing some for sure. I think that like the use cases that I mentioned for sure are definitely kind of the main ones that we're, you know, really excited about. Of course, you know, we're starting a grants program soon. So, hey, if you have a cool idea, send us a message. Go build it. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, let's talk about the roadmap a little bit. And, um, you know, that, that grants program is something maybe we, we can touch on a little bit. But um, yeah, what are the plans for, for Kive 2.0? And um, and also, I don't think you guys have a listed token yet. Exactly. Right. So like a more imminent roadmap um, is right now, of course, actually, if you go right now and you look at our network, we actually only have the consensus layer live. And we just did this to basically reach enough like security on the consensus layer, making sure that it's actually very stable before then launching our protocol layer. So right now we're not validating any data in mainnet, of course, in both of our test nets, we're actively validating data, but on the 
mainnet we're not validating data just yet. So like first thing on our roadmap is kind of launching the protocol layer with our first storage pool. Um, can't say which one just yet, but will be very exciting. Um, that should be coming out definitely in the next month for sure. So that's like the first thing on the roadmap. Second thing, of course, is also the uh, like the listing um, on DEXs and sexes. Um, so that's going to be very exciting. Uh, yeah, kind of going long, like more long term. Of course, definitely getting our Oracle product out. That's going to be super exciting. We're definitely hoping to launch an Oracle MVP as soon as possible. Um, like you mentioned, then kind of Kive 2.0, maybe like a little bit of a revamp there, like I talked about earlier, with like combining the two layers together stuff like that. We just kind of have to see where we're at at that point. Um, that's kind of like the roadmap for now, at least. And then, of course, you know, alongside all of that, the grants and uh, the bug bounty program are stuff that we're, you know, actively talking about now inside of the foundation. Um, and so, yeah, very excited to kind of see that all come to fruition as soon as possible, because, yeah, kind of giving back to the community, doing a lot of like sub DAO initiatives, um, and then also like seeing the community just kind of build lots of use cases that we might have never seen before. Um, yeah, that's the roadmap. Right. Thanks so much, John. I think, um, yeah, we learned a lot about Kaif and especially also Arweef today. And I think, yeah, very exciting use cases you're tackling. You can see already that, yeah, many, many areas are like actually touched on, upon this, like even in the blockchain data world, but I'm sure there's like a lot, like if you, if you step beyond that, like the say use case, I think it's going to be like some really exciting things if this all works the way I think it does. So, um, yeah, uh, super excited. And maybe before we wrap up, I guess like a final question could be like, you know, where, where do people find more about out more about Kive and like maybe the grants program, can you share a little bit how people can get in touch with you and, and get involved? Of course. Um, so like for now, there's not a lot of stuff around the program just yet because we're still working on all the internal details and whatnot. Um, but of course, you know, um, easiest way is just, you know, uh, like our email is like on our website, you know, website is kive.network. You can reach us there via email, telegram, discord, pretty much everything, to be honest, we have there. Um, we're launching the forum soon, actually. And that could be like another way that you can reach out to us. Um, yeah, sorry. Another thing on the roadmap, the forum, um, which of course we need. We're going to be doing a lot of stuff around like our governance process and stuff like that. That's probably the best way to reach out to us is just like going to the website and using your favorite social network to get a hold of us. Great. Well, thanks so much for coming on. It's been a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode. We release new episodes every week. You can find and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a Google Home or Alexa device, you can tell it to listen to the latest episode of the Epicenter podcast. Go to epicenter.tv slash subscribe for a full list of places where you can watch and listen. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for the newsletter so you get new episodes in your inbox as they're released. If you want to interact with us, guests, or other podcast listeners, you can follow us on Twitter. And please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps people find the show, and we're always happy to read them. So thanks so much, and we look forward to being back next week.